give special recognition to my father today. He was unable to be here, but I want to say to my father who is watching on behalf of my brother and, I don't know, maybe Dana. We love you and we esteem you, Dad. Thank you for being a wonderful, godly man. To my father-in-law's Papa Joe, J.W., love you. And um, thankful for you in our lives. To Pastor Mooney, I thank you for the six years of investment. And I esteem you, Brother Mooney, very highly. And to my father in the gospel, Pastor James Stark, the apostle. Um, if by chance, Pastor, you happen upon this today, I cannot tell you what an honor it is to say that I'm connected to you and to your profound anointing in the Word, in the Holy Ghost, and in the Spirit. I thank you for your early morning prayers every morning for me and my family, for your direction, guidance, correction, for the moments of rebuke and redirection. I thank you for all of that, Pastor Stark, and I love you and esteem you. And to all the great men of God, let's give all of them a great hand. Would you do that today? If you have your Bibles, I'm reading from the book of Malachi. It's the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament. If you have trouble finding it, just go to the New Testament, the book of Matthew, and go back two pages probably, and you've got it. If you still cannot find it, just look up at the screen. I promise to tell you the truth. We're reading from the last book in the Old Testament. It was written about 430 uh, B.C. Just before the closing of both prophetic vision and the Spirit's enunciation to holy men of God who were moved by the Holy Ghost to write, there is a few school of thoughts here, um, schools of thought, rather, which have launched into a theological debate about the actual last book written but um, seeing that it's uncertain if we would lean towards a chronicle or towards Malachi it seems fitting that the order in which it was placed is true to form so I will lean towards Malachi which means that after these last words are written there are 400 years of silence before the birth of Jesus Christ. 
Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as Joseph was espoused to Mary, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. That would be the more critical introduction of the incarnate word. According to John 1, the word was made flesh. John 1, 14, dwelt among us. We beheld his glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Incidentally, it, it seems fitting, just so all of you know, through our new Christian academy, there will be also uh, uh, some some classes to to bring back uh, Bible quizzing in the church so that young people will be memorizing scripture. That's... From my mother and father's uh, commitment, uh, they led me to that. So really, I would say that my brother and I, are the basis of our ministry came from the thousands of Bible verses we memorized. Not just the verses that we had to memorize when we got in trouble, which of course are many. So we have this now book, and we're reading from this last book. In fact, the book only has four chapters, and we're reading from the last of the four chapters. These are the last words. They are prophetically presented. They're layered with both New Testament meaning and with the last days of time. Here it is. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers. This speaks of restoration. And it, and it implies that a division has occurred and that the roles of fatherhood and men have been destroyed and that at some juncture the hearts of sons and daughters are disjointed And they're outside of the umbrella of the Father. But in the last day, there's going to be a restoration. And fathers are going to start paying attention to their kids. And the kids are going to start listening to the words of their fathers. (laughs) And if that doesn't happen, there's going to be a curse on the earth. God's going to curse the earth. Which means that whatever this is, is a vital precursor to the last days of time and a provision for the whole world. Amen. And I speak today about the father that was. Amen. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Bless the house, all that hear the word. Thank you for your glory, your love, your mercy, your grace. Just lift your hands wherever you are and just thank the Lord that you're blessed. Thank him that you can call him Abba Father. Thank him that he is merciful to you. Somebody ought to say it. Thank you for your mercy.
before you're seated, I, I cannot uh, rehearse all things that I've spoken or written. But I want everyone to know all of our single mothers that are raising sons and daughters. And um, I want you to know in your bulletin writing today, if you'll read that and pay attention to that, I've addressed you today. Your Heavenly Father thinks that this role of fatherhood is so important. He didn't leave anybody out. Don't, don't feel depressed. And don't feel pity for your children. When you're serving the Lord, He is a father to the fatherless. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Thank you. The pages of history are often embossed with names and dates. It may not always reflect the deeper truths behind them. Yet the historian offers us the most notable points of our past. The worth of the historian is far greater than the space given for their recognition or for our remembrance. They do more than just recount what has occurred. From the pages of the historian comes a direction of where to or not to go. Not all names and dates, however, reveal the lingering effects of the events listed on a page. Both war and disease cover those books as all world crises make an indelible imprint not soon forgotten. But the markings of such things are deeper than the impression of the quill in all. Relationships, family roles, and even titles will more precisely declare the historical view better than the date or the name of it. It declares what is left behind. Plagues and conflicts, battles, wars, and the like leave the same residue. And the result is always a shift in the families of the world. It is interesting to read the narrative of General John Pershing and his troops, which were nicknamed the Doughboys. World War I found them fighting on the Western Front. They encountered more than just the trench and the enemy beyond. Those pages of history are but a fraction of the effects left behind. Now, what they found were, were children of all ages, stranded and wandering The shift of the family was the residue. Conflicts always affect the family the most. Conflicts of all types affects families the most. This young army 
found these children as Europe struggled for food and the basic of necessities. But the doughboys also saw the natural adoption of many of those children. Not with legal documents or formal hearings, but with immediate attention and care. So many men, fathers had perished. In those waning hours of the great war, families were divided and scattered across the landscape. And in the aftermath, it was not property, it was not victory or or treasure that mattered. It was simply family, and more specifically, it was the matter of men. General Pershing saw it firsthand, young fathers missing in action. And then he witnessed the responsibility of those children being picked up by the next closest man. The stories and testimonies are long and familiar, but they are not new to our world. Fathers have always been in demand, never so more than now. The Great War made a notion, a notation rather, in the margins that sons and daughters are not always sons and daughters by birth. Some come about by a father that was. These definitions are spelled out in the scripture, Genesis eleven twenty seven. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, Haran. Haran begat Lot, that was his son. But Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldeans. And from that moment, Abram, whom we come to know as Abraham, took on fatherhood for his brother's son. Lot had the benefit of Abraham's care as a father to a son. Notwithstanding, Lot will eventually squander his prized position. Abraham never stopped caring for Lot. Abraham's sons by birth were Ishmael and Isaac, one of the bondwoman, the other of the free. But Abraham was a father to Lot. The responsibility of his nephew was upon him and that by choice, the two The other two were by nature. We know that just because a man can procreate does not make him a father. Fathers are by choice, intention. It is a decision of will and intent. Intention, will, choice. And even after Lot had a family and then removed himself from Abraham's care, Abraham's work was not over. For the time came when war broke out, war broke out, and a group of collaborative kings kidnapped Lot and took all of his possessions and belongings and everything that he owned. And when Abraham heard of it, he gathered his faithful men. All of them took up swords and weapons of war and went to fight for the freedom of his son, nephew turned son. He was the father that was. It was by design. It was deliberate. It was a willful want. If we read a little further, we can find a man named Abahel, Abahel perished. He died. We don't know how or why or at what age. But his introduction into the scripture is simply that he passed away. Howbeit the daughter of Abahel, who we know as Esther, was left behind. Esther was the orphan daughter of Abahel. But Mordecai stepped forward to take her on as his own child. Some Scholars submit that he was her uncle. Others point out that he would have been a much older cousin. But the origin of the relationship between Mordecai and Esther changed forever when he took the role of fatherhood. It was more than just providing food and shelter, housing, clothing, not just education and provision. 
Common fathers give guidance and instruction for life. Spiritual fathers give direction for eternal life. In the days leading up to the most crucial time in Israel's history, when the entire Jewish population stood on the brink of annihilation and a wicked man plotted to kill them all, it was Mordecai's voice which cried out and reminded Esther of her life's purpose. He said, Who knows if you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Those are the words of a father prodding, provoking, reminding. Speaking of Esther, here is the word in your Bible, Esther chapter 2, verse 7. Whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. (laughs) You're not just a relative. You're my daughter. I'm your father. He became the man who spoke truth. Even in the face of her own peril, he was the father. She was the daughter. And per his own words, live or die, her mission lay before her. Hear the words of a father. He's not trying to keep her from physical harm. No. Instead, he offers reality. If you don't step up, another will come. Think of it. If you're going to die, Esther, die for the kingdom. If you're going to risk it all, do it for the sake of something greater than you. Mordecai, the father that was, did not sugarcoat the moment. If you die, you die. But Esther, you think you can just recoil into some back chamber of your comfortable surroundings with the pleasures of the palace at your beck and call. Just remember, God can raise up someone else to take your place. Hear the words of a true father. God wants to use you, but he does not need you. He will raise up somebody else. He'll use you for your, use you for his glory. But don't think that you're the only one and don't think that you can hide out. And in that moment, Mordecai presented a truth, a desperate and needful truth. He did not protect her from the impending peril, but rather Mordecai pointed out the cause and the reason for her life. Mordecai. Not by genetic code or offspring, but by choice, the father that was. (laughs) We need fathers today. We need fathers who reveal life's purpose. Fathers who intercede for the greater sake of the kingdom's cause. Men, in fact, who step forward to offer direction and guidance concerning the cause of Christ without apprehension or hesitation. We need men of sobriety who are not afraid to cry out, Jesus is coming. Heaven and hell are before us. We need a man's voice that would say, the kingdom is all that matters. Because the passion of a man is revealed in the direction of his own life. And not to his only, but to all who follow him. Not consumed with ambitions or entertainment or sports or sporting events. Not consumed with fun times or lust or things. Not buddies or friends with children. But leaders who produce like-minded sons and daughters. Men are needed. And to that end, I am compelled by the Holy Spirit to challenge America's, America's minimal definition of a father. Fathers are not men who pay bills. 
They are not males which procreate with a woman. They are not defined simply by muscle or size, strength, superiority, or appearance. Fathers are men who lead sons and daughters by choice. Whether or not they produce them, they adopt them. Yes. They lead by example in the path of righteousness. They take on the responsibility of another. They assume the role, care, prayer, concern. They carry the weight with gladness and count it all joy to be a spiritual warrior in the face of the enemy and in this world. And if need be, they intercede in prayer. And they lead out in worship. They are givers of themselves. They are fathers by intent. They are born of purpose. By all medical standards today... And that of societal's description, I am a father. But if it ends there, then I have only fulfilled the most negligible of those descriptions. My goal is not just to be a dad to four children and pay the bills and make sure the lights are on and make sure there's food in the refrigerator. That's not my goal. The goal is to beget sons and daughters. Yes, first my four, but then there are more, but always by choice and intent. I didn't stop. Begetting sons and daughters with the end of Nicholas's birthday or his birth. But there are many that I'm in pursuit of. And we are all in promotion of a ministry already defined but in short supply. I'm not culturally cache today. I'm not in the crowd. I'm somewhere outside the crowd. And if you need to know, I have not yet evolved. <laughs> Paul wrote it this way. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, ye have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. The teacher, instructor, even mentor, as wonderful as they are, they do not qualify. I'm thankful for them, but they do not qualify. Fathers beget sons and daughters in the gospel. That is the kingdom view. It's not to dismiss the godly critical role of a woman, I understand. Nor do we take out anything from a woman adorned with a meek and quiet spirit. Which according to 1 Peter 3, 4 is in the sight of God of great price. We do not have to demean our ladies and our women. To lift up our men. That's a lie of the enemy. We already know the value of a godly woman. How dare the world tell you that if you lift up a man, you're demeaning everyone else. That is not true. We have to have men, godly men, that will take on the role of a father to beget sons and daughters. And you may not have birthed them, but men, you ought to stand up and say, I will take on the role of a godly man in this world today. That is the kingdom view. I say to all the men, please do not walk by any son or daughter and think it's not my responsibility. Yes, it is your responsibility within the circumference of this house and in the working of the kingdom of God. Every man ought to be prone and ought to be intentional about raising up sons and daughters in the gospel. I'm not talking about mentorship. I'm not talking about instructors. I'm talking about pouring in and taking on with joy the care and concern and the production of kingdom-minded people. Yes. Yes. God has reserved the right for men to become fathers. 
God reserved the right for men to become fathers. It is and shall always be an inclusive club. (laughs) Just for my weak heart, tell me I'm among friends. Help me with a little insecurity. Surely the church knows that the world is corrupt. Surely we believe what I'm preaching today that this is not a surprise to you. Surely you have not been convinced that the family order and God's design and his hierarchy, that the man is the head of the woman as Christ is the head of the church. Surely the church knows that what I'm telling you is the truth and that we are commissioned by God in a holy fashion as a holy people. Paul follows up his statement concerning the issues surrounding the church at Corinth. He said, I'm sending you Timothy, my son of the gospel. He does everything like me. He has my spirit. He's got my mind. He's the full extension of who I am. He has my passion, my anointing. Paul once wrote in 1 Timothy 1-2, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. I challenge the men. Find your sons and daughters in the faith. If you don't have them yet, today is a good day to start. These are the critical words of of a position in desperate need. Paul said in Philippians 2.22, But ye know the proof of Timothy, that as a son with the father, he has served me in the gospel. The proof of him. Of Timothy was the relationship, not by birth or code, but by the gospel. Paul became the father that was. It was Elijah who walked by one day, cast his mantle on Elisha. It was begotten, it was formed, not by birth, but by intention. It was Moses that laid his hands on Joshua. I'll read it to you. Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. Why? Why was he full of the spirit of wisdom? For Moses had laid his hands upon him. Moses may have prayed for Gershom and Eleazar, but it was Joshua. Why Joshua? Not just because Joshua and Elisha served their respective leaders, which both did so profoundly. Not because they were faithful and young and worthy, but it was because both Moses and Elijah took on the responsibility to produce young men with more than just details and duties. Rather, they adopted them as a father to a son, not instructors, not just mentors. The commitment is for the sake of the Lord, for the kingdom of God, and indeed for this house. Fathers are in need. Fathers are wanted men, men, men who are grounded, men who are secure in the faith. I'm talking to you men today. Men with both service, work, and then praise in their hands. Men who beget sons and daughters 
and the proof of them being seen in the progress of the Lord. Men, perhaps more than ever, are needed. Godly men, kingdom-minded men. We need faithful men. Men who have moral authority and spiritual authority to speak the word. Because when you lose your moral authority and your spiritual authority, you won't execute justice. We need men. So I say, live for Christ or die for the cause, but never retreat. I like to speak to all the sons and daughters that are here. You are my sons and daughters, wherever you are. Live for Christ or die for the cause. Either way, you win. But don't ever retreat. Don't ever backslide. Don't ever give up on your commitments. Don't ever quit coming to church. Don't ever quit reading your Bible. No matter what anyone says about you or to you, it's okay to make a show for Jesus Christ. If that means clapping and dancing and shouting, then do it and don't worry about what anyone else says. If that means that you're picked on for being a someone that just radical or so holy or whatever, that's okay. I'd rather have that commentary on you than the other on you. I'd rather have the quotes of you're just too religious than for you to be hidden in the crowd of corrupt men and women. I say to all the sons and daughters, let there be a peer pressure in this house. And the peer pressure is we serve God and we love God and we're sold out for the cause and we want the Lord and we're dedicated. That's why I say, live for Christ. But if you have to die, die for the cause of Jesus Christ. But don't ever back up. Don't ever retreat. Don't ever turn your back on the Lord. Don't ever quit. Don't ever get sucked into someone's vain and carnal ideas. Don't go with the crowd if the crowd's going the wrong way. Be left out. Hear me, all of you. Whoever you are that consider yourself as a son or daughter, it'd be better that you're alone and lonely than for you to be connected to somebody who corrupts your spirit and force a vision and the promise that God has made in your life. And I know what I'm about to say is not palatable to ambitious people, but it would be better for you to be poor. And struggling. And not enough money in the bank. And don't have a lot of things. But be saved and godly. Than to sacrifice your commitment and have money. And wealth. I'm speaking the words of a father to a son and a daughter. It'd be better for you to go to heaven. Lamed and crippled and blind. Than for you to go to hell and have everything. I feel the spirit of Mordecai on me today. I'm hitting the streets crying out, Jesus is coming. 
There's an annihilation of the wicked coming. And hell was made for the devil and his angels. It was not made for you. And you don't have to go there. So you got to stand up and say, live or die. If you can't remember anything I just said, remember this. You must become an apostolic. Seek it out. Search it out. Because if you cannot go through this life and not be an apostolic, you are born again of the water and of the spirit. You are called out from this old world into a brand new life of holiness and godliness. Hear the voice of a father to anyone who wants to be the son of the daughter. Carry the covenant of holiness. It looks good on you. Haven't we seen it already? Don't we know already? We've been right all along. We've been right all along. Carry the covenant of holiness. We've been right all along. And we're right now. Why? Because we did not make it up. Because we were not the origin of it. But the holy word of God and the word of the Lord is truth. It shall endure forever. God made you a man. He made you the man for a purpose. So that you can stand up and lead. And men, the father that was, you can become. That you have to be a godly man. We were recalling the night that the Lord called me into the ministry. And then I spoke of it. I was just 14 years old. And it was a long, long time before I actually entered whatever the Lord had wanted me to do. It was, a, it was many, many years afterwards. It wasn't a quick thing. So I would say... You might be a young person today, but the Lord has a call on your life. He wants to use you. Yes. So don't get back into the shadows of the world. You were called for a purpose. Hear me, young lady. You're going to have to purify yourself. Because like Esther, you're going to have to approach the unknown. But you're going to go with the Lord. And when you do, you're going to change the course of someone's destiny. Yes. So I say, carry the covenant of holiness and carry the covenant of the Holy Ghost. It's okay. It's proper for you to speak in tongues when you're not here. It's a good thing to get lost in the spirit wherever you are. It's in order for you to be that apostolic tongue talking, holy roller, born again, ever. You love the Lord. You are on fire for God. It's okay. Don't you know the world wants to showcase whatever they're doing? I think it's time for sons and daughters to stand up and say, we love you. We don't agree because we're born of God and not of the world. Where are the sons and daughters today? I'll tell you where they are. They're waiting for a father to stand up and tell them you can do it. They're waiting for the men of the church to rise up and be godly men. I'm, I offer this direction to all the men, all the men of age. I offer this direction for you. Don't ever walk by the young people and say, you know what? Look, they're not serving God. Hear me tell you, men. You lead us. You take them on and they will be what you are. 
But if you are not a worshiper and you're not a giver and you're not a worker and you're not a prayer warrior, don't expect the children, the sons and daughters to be any different than you. It was the early 90s and I called my mother. I said, Mom, I did something I've never done, but I was on a fast. I was praying and I was fasting and I went to preach a youth revival. She said, well, how did it go? What'd you do? I said, well, I was preaching. I said, about the third night of that youth revival, the Lord stopped me and I stopped preaching to the young people. I looked at those parents. They were all sitting there with their arms folded. No one was saying amen. No claps, no nothing. No one was coming to the altar. They just watched everybody else. And I stopped preaching to the young people. I looked at the moms and the dads and the grandpas and the grandmas out there. And I said, if you don't get up and worship God. Do not expect I'm tired of preaching to young people who have fathers and mothers. There's no, there's no godliness. There's no, there's no instruction. There's no begotten of my own bonds. This is my statement to, to any sons and daughters who are willing. Give your life's energy and your ambition to the one thing that will not fail because everything else is going to fail but as the songwriter so aptly put only what you do for Christ will last that's it that's it (laughs) Solomon was so wise he said remember your creator in the days of your youth and then he wrote further, because the day's coming when your bones don't work right, your eyes don't adjust, and your legs don't, and your, your grinders, your teeth are not right, and things are just broken down, and old injuries, and, and, and the body starts to decay, and you just don't have the energy to get up and run and move, and, 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 and don't squander the good years of jumping and shouting and running and staying up all night prayer meetings, and Remember, you, I'm, I'm a father speaking to some son and daughter who wants it. Remember your creator. You got youth and energy and desire and passion. Remember God in these days. I want to rise up and say, give God the best years of your life. Give him the best years of your life. Man, I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of people, they they can't do it because their hips and their bones and their knees don't work right and their back's all out of joint. I've been preaching many, many services and I've looked over at them and I've talked to some of them and they've said, Pastor, if I could dance and if I could run. If I had my youth, help me, mother. Help me, mother. Stand up. Help me, mother. Takes a little bit. Help her now. If I could, if I could do it, I'd be doing it. So don't wait. She did it when she was younger, but now she can't do it like she used to do it. But I'm hoping that somebody would rise up and say, I'm going to be doing it while I have the strength. I'm going to be giving it while I've got the thing to give. It's a father's word. Give everything. Fathers are in need. Men are wanted. Asshole, God. 
Stand with me, just stand with me. And finally, I want you to do, but I also want you to be. Be a doer. Hear this now with your heart. Don't forget that what you do is rooted in who you are. It's not, it's not just about doing something on Sunday or making a show. Because Sunday, as Brother Shock, Pastor Shock has taught us years ago, this is an overspill of the way we live. Preaching is an overspill of just what's been filling the cup all week long. Worshiping the Lord is just the rejoicing that's been building up since Monday and Thursday. And something happened on Friday. The Lord was good on Saturday. I was rejoicing, but when I came into the house of God, I was glad when they said to me, because I know there's going to be a collective body. I'm going to worship God on Sunday. It's not my Sunday show. It's just the overspill of the way I've been living. It's inside out. I'm asking all the sons and the daughters. I'm asking all the sons and the daughters. Don't let this be an event. That you mark off the calendar or that you pay dues and say, I go to church. That's not going to cut it. Let this be the rejoicing of what the Lord has done. It's just another day to give God praise, but the body has come together. You may not be my biological son or daughter. And incidentally, you do have to pay for your own meal, but <laughs> take care of your own insurance. I can't, I, can't, I can't change your oil. However, I got enough gray hairs in my head, enough scars on my body, Enough evidence of failing forward. (laughs) I fought enough devils and had enough conflict. Knowing that whatever I did, I did by the grace of God. Not of myself. But I got enough boldness in the Holy Ghost to say... I'm going to rise up and be a man in this church. And I'm asking for every man to rise up with me. And together on Father's Day, we're making a declaration. We're going to be men of God. And we're going to produce sons and daughters in the kingdom. And we're going to not let any corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth, but that which is edifying. We're going to make sure God is praised. Thank you, brother. We're going to make sure God is praised. And the family is in order. And where there's conflict and war and disease and crisis, that the men adopt the people. I want this church to be filled with spiritual fathers. 
I want the church to be filled with men who are not afraid and not embarrassed. That will produce sons and daughters in the kingdom. Come on, lift up your hands, all the men and all the ladies and all the children, sons and daughters. Come on, you're giving a dedication to the Lord, God Almighty in this house. Yes, 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 yes. my conclusion I woke up this morning felt a little tug at my heart this last week I was thinking about a very special man in my life his name was Sid McCauley he was he was a godfather He was best friends with my mom and dad and his wife, um, Rako, and my mother were new converts in the church together. She passed away um, in a tragic accident when I was very young. My earliest memories, in fact, my sister was, when she was born, my mother had a a life and death situation. It was a, a blood problem and so Scotty and I were uh, we had to go stay with other people and I I, I, I remember my earliest memories were with Reiko she was a Japanese lady she didn't speak very good English and the earliest words I can remember are Japanese words and um When she passed away, Sid was lost for a while, just lost in life and tragedy. And um, the, the last time I was with him before his passing, we went to the mall. There was a, he liked sweaters. I, there was a mall in St. Louis area. Went to a place called Benetton and I bought him a sweater and we had so much fun and He went on and to be with the Lord and this morning when I woke up the Lord spoke to my heart about our fathers that are now resting with him there's a lot of fathers represented today that are resting with the Lord and they fought the good fight they finished their course some of your fathers my commitment to those men is pressed upon me and upon you 
we cannot do less than what they did. Surely, we'll carry the baton, the torch further. Your fathers are now resting with the Lord. But their life's work and their life's ambition was to raise up sons and daughters for the gospel's sake. And so while we remember them and grieve over them, remember what their purpose was. Their purpose and their cause was to give you the cause of Christ and declare the reason for your living. That's right. And if they were here today in body, surely they would be among the men standing and declaring that there is one Lord, there is one faith, there is one baptism, one God and Father above all and through all and in you all. They would be declaring, Jesus is coming, we're going to be saved. Amen. So for the children's sake, whoever the children are, you might say, well, I'm I'm not a child. That's okay. You can still be a son and daughter. Pastor, I'm 40 years old. That's okay. I want you. I'm 50. I want you. 60. Somebody else wants you. I know I'll take you. I'll, I'll take you. I'll take you. So today, what we're doing here is we're doing a dedication of men. Men. Now, now, now don't, don't consider your mistakes right now. Don't consider where your biological children are or that you don't have any. You're a man. You're in this church. That qualifies you to rise up and be a father, a godly man, the father that was. Amen. So right now, with your hands lifted up, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for what's been given to us. And now we want to execute, Lord, all that has been given to us, Lord, for the sake of this house and for the ministries beyond. I pray, Lord, let it be so that the responsibility would be carried with great joy that we would produce something not just mentorship but investment Lord care, concern, prayer, devotion the example of our whole lives I thank you for that Jesus I thank you for it Jesus Amen, Amen